Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Suma, your complete tool center. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. This is The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Doing all right. Yes, a very early drive show because of our international cricket commitments, as you heard, coming your way at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Wherever you may be listening on uh, SEN Track 657, SEN Spirit 621 in Bunbury in the southwest, SEN Kalgoorlie 1611 on the DAB Plus digital radio at SEN Peel or SEN WA on the SEN app. Great to have your company. I'm here till 3 o'clock, then it's a short abbreviated version of the run home between three and four, but you can still get involved at the temperate bedshed text machine 0487 736 736. Bedshed experts in temper mattresses, pillows and adjustable bases. Check the range of temper products in store or visit bedshed.com.au or you can also join us on the Scarborough Toyota open line. Call 13 12 55 just before we get moving, uh, get behind the Perth Wildcats this season. They take on the Illawarra Hawks this weekend after a big win against Brisbane to kick off the season. Uh, if you want to get your tickets, uh, head to tickettech.com.au now. So that's the Wildcats. Get your season tickets, tickettech.com.au now. What's coming up on the program? We're going to have a bit of motorsport later on because there's a bit happening. We've got Bathurst 1000, even though... The Supercar Championship has been done and dusted. It's the final Holden v Ford battle at Bathurst this weekend. Shane Van Gisbergen, as we know, has all but wrapped up the uh, Drivers' Championship. But I reckon uh, there'll be an all-for-nothing race for the uh, rest of the field this weekend. (laughs) So I look forward to uh, focusing on motorsport and also Daniel Ricciardo, of course, on the back end of what was his best performance in F1 racing last weekend. But today, we're going to speak to a gentleman who posted on social media this morning. And I'll just quote from that posting. Yesterday was my last day at the West Australian. I have spent 37 of the last 40 years working for the West or affiliated papers. The plan is for me to write one last column on Saturday. And thanks to everyone who has helped me in my career. Talking about very respected football journalist, chief footy writer at the West Australia for many years, Mark Duffield joins us on Drive with Peter Vlahos here this afternoon. Duff, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. I think my official title now is former chief football <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, there's been a huge reaction to that post this morning. The amount of people that have jumped on board to wish you the best uh, going forward uh, has been quite incredible. You must be uh, pretty humble in some ways to get that much feedback from people that you've connected with over the years. Oh, mate, I'm feeling the opposite of humble. I've got my chest out. I'm, I'm thinking of running for five <laughs> Uh, no. Uh, no, it's um, it's been it's been lovely, and um, um, 
to hear from so many people and um yeah it's great but i suppose if you've been doing it that long, I guess you you sort of like come across a few people, don't you? Oh, you it's certainly very do. Nice, very nice to see. So what I'd like to do, Duff, is just in the next uh, few minutes, just reflect on what has been a, an incredible career, chasing all the big stories, speaking to all the big uh, football names in this country for many, many years. But just going back to Mark Duffield, born and bred around the Narragin region. Is that correct? I think you went to school in Narragin. Tell us about your early days. No, I grew up in Darkin, um, so which is a town between Collie and Williams, um, and uh, it's a little farming community. Um, I, I I went to school in Darkin from years one to year ten, and then I, I went to Narragin and boarded the Narragin Hostel for years eleven and twelve, and uh, and they were great years. It's not often that you have that many friends around you as when you're in a hostel situation with kids your own age and. Um, that was a really uh, a great time for me and um, and did a lot to shape me as a person. Saying that, you've uh, even now in your latter years and, you know, you're a mature person now, you've still kept that connection with the country. You enjoy going back whenever you can. Um, yeah, I don't get down there as often as I'd like to, um, but, I, but I'm very much a country boy at heart. I think once you're sort of um, you get those values that country people do have. I think they tend to stay with you and, um, and you know, you treasure those sort of things because I think they are um, real salt-of-the-earth values and that's um, um, they're important to me. So, yeah, I, I, um, I still have a brother um, who runs the family farm and, and um, he's the father of Paul Duffield, the former Fremantle player, and Paul, Paul's gone home and he's on the family farm as well. So... Um, it's always great to get back there, and that, that is the place that more than any other place in the world feels like home. So you eventually came up to Perth. Was it for schooling? Was it for university? Was it for a job? What led Mark Duffield to the big smoke? Well, actually, so when I was 18, uh, it was 1982, and um, I wanted to come to Perth and play football um, for South Fremantle, they were keen to get me down and Mick Moylan was their recruiter at the time and um, so the week I was supposed to move up, I'd actually I dropped off a resume at the South West Times in Bunbury um, in December uh, 1981 I reckon, when I got my TAE results back and um, I just dropped them in there um, uh, out at Profit Street in Bunbury and the week before I was due to come down to play for South from Anil and moved down, um, I got offered the first year cadetship at the South West Times. And uh, my father sat me down and he had a good talk to me. And, of course, football back then wasn't fully professional anyway. And um, he, he pointed out that one of these things was a sport and the other was a job that may lead to a career and um, and that uh, I should be taking the job, which I did. And um, judging by the football I played after that point, I made the right decision. <laughs> so why journalism and why sport writing, why sport reporting? Uh, was it in your blood? Were you keen to do it or just uh, it fell by chance your way? Oh, I've always been a sports junkie. I've always been one of those guys who picks up the newspaper and turns to the back. Um, and I, I grew up reading people like, you know, Jeff Christian and Ken Casellas and... Um, the great Colin Hopkins, the great sports writers of the of the West Australian. Um, I was actually a general news reporter um, for quite some time. At the South West Times, you sort of do everything. Uh, and I did some sport reporting, but also um, a lot of news reporting as well. I, I was there in 82, 83, 84. In December 1984, I moved to Perth 
and started work with a um, a sort of a weekly supplement that was um, the West was putting out at the time called the West Advertiser. Um, and then in mid-1985, I was um, uh, brought on to the main reporting staff at the West Australian, and I was a, I was a general news reporter. Um, I went to Melbourne as the junior reporter in the Melbourne Bureau in mid-'86 and stayed until mid-'87. And then I actually left and went back and worked on the family farm for three years. I didn't actually become a football writer until 1992. Um, and Robert Taylor went down to become the sports editor. And Robert and I had worked in the bureau in Melbourne together. And, and Robert wanted me with him as the as a football writer. And, and I've pretty much been a football writer since then. 1992, pretty famous year, wasn't it? What a, what a year to come into it. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I, I still remember that day. And in fact, I'm writing one last column um, for the West on Saturday and, and the 1992 grand final of Peter Matera will be a part of that column and um, uh, that was a big day for West Australia and a big day for um, for Wagen people and of course Darkens only 60 k's from Wagen and, and when I was growing up I was I was playing footy against Wally Matera um, in home and away matches and we used to play together in association junior games so I um, was very familiar with the Matera family. Saying that, was Peter Matera your favourite AFL player, certainly on this side of the country? A lot of people tend to sort of rank the West Coast Eagles greats. You'd have Matera right up there, I gather. I always think that Chris Judd is the greatest ever Eagle. Like, he's the one that... um, uh, Well, sorry, the best ever Eagle. There are probably others that, because of longevity, maybe um, go past him for greatness. But he was the best player, I think, ever to play for West Coast. But certainly Matera... Um, is yeah in that short list of four or five players, and I think that that game. I mean, who kicks five goals off a wing in any game, let alone in a grand final? And um, and they weren't just five ordinary goals either. Three of them were absolutely unbelievable goals, really. So um, uh, yeah, he was you know certainly one of the most watchable players of his time. It was certainly a phenomenal period, that early 90s, two premierships in 92, 94. Then the Dockers came in in 95. You mentioned about the family link to the Fremantle Dockers uh, with your nephew. Uh, I gather, did you have a bit of a soft spot for Frio when they got into the competition? Or was it difficult to, of course, remain unbiased, knowing there was another big animal in the football, football community here in Perth? It's, it's very difficult to avoid the perception of bias in Perth, I think, because most people are either one or the other, and um, uh, and it's a very parochial city. I, I like to think that I um, trod down the middle somewhere. I, I am a Fremantle person. I, I make no secret of that. I, I was a West Coast supporter right up until grand final day in 1994, and um, I knew that the minute the Fremantle came come in they would be the team closest to my heart and uh, um, uh, and yeah that's always stayed the same and it was probably only enhanced a little bit when Paul started um, playing for them but certainly you cannot not respect um, what West Coast has done they've been a great club over a long period of time and um, those 92 and 94 flags are, are among my fonder football memories. You mentioned some of those great uh, football writers of the past, you know, the Colin Hopkins, the Jeff Christians, you know, Ray Wilsons and others that have been been here and spent a lot of time writing, particularly for the West Australian and, of course, the the Sunday Times. Mark Duffield, you've certainly been behind the old typewriter when you first started. Of course, now as technology has taken uh, journalism forward. But 
Has it become more difficult as you've gone along or did you enjoy, particularly in those early days before social media, the chase? Yeah, I think that was the great days of newspapers were probably even before mobile phones. Um, and your best way of getting a story was to go out and be amongst the people that were likely to give you a story. And that's when reporters were very gregarious and social and, um, you know, often stories were sort of shared, you know, around hotel bars and across the table at restaurants and, and those sorts of things. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I think the, I, I was very fortunate. I think that my developmental time as a journalist was very much the golden era of newspapers, I think, and that was in the 80s and probably even into the 90s. And I was very lucky that I worked under great newspaper people. You know, Don Smith was my first editor at the West Australian, um, Paul Murray um, and Bob Cronin were the people that got me back to journalism after I'd spent three years on the farm. And you mentioned Ray Wilson. Ray Wilson saved my career because I left the West very briefly to go to work at The Australian in 2003 and didn't like it and felt like I'd blown my career by leaving the West Australian. And Ray Wilson got me back and brought me back into the fold. And uh, I'm eternally grateful to Ray for that. Otherwise, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Mm. Mark Duffield, who uh, will write his final column after an outstanding career of journalism for the West Australian, the Sunday Times. And uh, as he mentioned, he spent some time at the Australian as well, starting, of course, in the Bunbury office in the Southwest Times. Duff, what stories gave you the most satisfaction? Oh, look, I'm a lot of journeys are all about the big yarn. I'm, I'm kind of, I love the game, and so I don't remember the story so much as the games and the best games. And um, um, and so you know, I talked about Materia's performance in '92. Um, I think about the great Western Derbies. I think about the. Um, the Derby in 2006 when Paul Hazelby slotted the goal with less than a minute left to give um, Fremantle victory, the, the Hayden Ballantyne shot after the siren in 2011 when he hit the post. Um, you know, those games, I think, um, they meant an enormous amount to West Australians and they were just great to cover. Um, my, one of my favourite games ever was the, um, the 1999 preliminary final when um, Carlton beat Essendon, when Essendon went in as odds-on favourites. And... and if he'd gone around, he would have shot to win the game. And um, one of the best games of footy I ever saw was um, the West Coast Hawthorne mm. uh, elimination final in 1992 at Subiaco Oval. I still remember that game. And that was probably the start of Peter Matera's run in that final series. Matera in the last quarter, he'd been going hammer and tongs against Aaron Pritchard on a wing uh, for three quarters. And then... In the last quarter, Matera just went to a level no one else on the ground could get to and pretty much decided the game for West Coast. Um, That's a very fond memory as well. It's interesting, uh, Mark Duffield, what you're saying. Saying that, there's been some interesting times in AFL football and football here in Perth, Western Australia. I saw him actually at the WAFL Grand Final on Saturday and he looked a picture of health and looked outstanding. We're talking about Ben Cousins. When that was going down around the West Coast Eagles uh, about 15, 16 years ago. How difficult was it to cover and how disturbing was it to cover from a football perspective? Well, it was actually um, difficult for me on a personal level because Ben had been writing a column for the West Australian right up until um, 2004 and I was his ghostwriter. So I was meeting Ben on a, you know, a 
it wasn't a weekly column. I think I think one week we'd do a um, a West Coast person, and the next week we'd do a Fremantle person. I think it probably once every fortnight. Ben and I would sit down at a cafe and have a conversation, and then we'd produce a column out of it. So, yeah, Ben and I had a relationship, and um, as a you know sports writer and sportsman, and uh, um, so to see that happen and to report on it was very tough. And I remember writing a story um, midway through 2005 where I called for Ben Cousins to hand back the captaincy or West Coast to take it off him because it became clear that his life away from football had simply got to a point where he couldn't be the leader on field of of a club that meant as much in the WA public as West Coast did. Um, that was tough. And um, uh, But I, you know, what I would say is that, you know, the passing of time, I guess, and, and Ben, um, as you said, he, he looks great now. And um, I remember finishing up a radio show at the ABC and driving around the corner into St George's Terrace, and he was coming out of a cafe with a coffee in his hand, and and, uh, and I pulled up and stopped, and we had a great chat, and uh, he, he's looked a picture of health at that time. He's looked a picture of health ever since, and it was just such a pleasing thing to see, um, and such a pleasing thing to be able to talk to him again. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. But that was a yeah, that was a really tough time. I think West Coast would say, in hindsight, it was a tough time internally, and one they could have handled differently. Um, and uh, it was certainly a very tumultuous time in the football media in Perth. As we've mentioned, uh, nearly four decades, which is quite incredible when you look at it, Mark. It's a testimony to your uh, resilience, your perseverance and your expertise that you've lasted the journey because it is uh, a cutthroat business of media, as we all know. And uh, you've been exceptional in the way you've written stories and certainly people have been educated and informed uh, through your writing. From the time you got into AFL footy to where it is now, where you leave it for the time being, what has been the most significant change for you? Um, I think the big TV rights deals, which have meant the game has been able to become full-time. And um, I think the result of that has been the coaches have been able to train players differently. And some of that has been for the better and some of that has been probably the game has become a bit overcoached and we've had things like these press defences and a lot of numbers around the ball and, and those sorts of things which have made the game, I think, probably not quite as good to watch as it has been. But having said that, the flip side of that is um, I'm not one of these people that believes the skill level has, has dipped or anything like that. I think it's gone the other way. I think if you go back and watch the games of the 80s and 90s, you can see that players can do things with the ball now that they couldn't have possibly done back in those days. Um, and I think the stand rule, while a lot of people don't like it, um, that's been introduced over the last couple of years, I think that's brought back ball movement and the game has become more attractive to watch. I think the other thing uh, that we can't underestimate the significance of is that Women's football has has been, you know, there's a revolution going under um, underway uh, with women's football, and it's very much uh, a product in development. Um, but the fact that everyone gets to play now, and it's not just young boys, but young girls who aspire to play football, I think that's a significant factor. And I think it'll be a significant factor as much as anywhere. It'll be a significant factor in the frontier states like Queensland and New South Wales. My understanding is that. Women's football in Queensland in particular is absolutely booming and that can only be a good thing for the game, both men's and women's, in that state. And hopefully a similar things happen in uh, in Sydney and particular 
the the western suburbs of Sydney because I think that will be a great thing for the code there. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, Duff, as we let you go, just in brief, um, will you miss the job or was it time to move on? Well, I'm hoping to um, sort of like maybe move into a different phase of um, of uh, my career, which may still involve being, you know, in the media and maybe even the football media. So we'll wait and see what pans out there, Pete. Um, it's a long time to be at one place. And also I would think it's fair to say that newspapers are undergoing significant change and the environment requires significant change and you have to make a decision as to whether you want to be involved in that and they have to make decisions as to whether a person at my age can make the necessary adjustments to allow them to be involved in that. So these are all tough calls for everyone to make. Um, I'm comfortable with this and um, we'll wait and see what happens. Hopefully there's one more good work adventure in front of me, mate. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is, Duff. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, mate. I could talk to you for a long more t- a lot uh, longer, let me tell you, but it's been great to get an insight into your philosophies and where it all started and uh, where it's all ended, but it's been a heck of a journey. Thanks for joining us this afternoon and we'll hopefully catch up very soon. Good on you, Pete. Thanks. Good on you. Bye. Mark Duffield joining us here on uh, Drive, the early drive show with Peter Vlahos. Back with more in a moment. Your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. This is The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. All right, we're getting excited because this weekend we have got uh, Mount Panorama and in all its glory, the final Holden v Ford battle at the Bathurst 1000. It's arrived, even though Shane Van Gisbergen has all but wrapped up the championship. It should be a, a great weekend. Joining us is the man that's the co-host of the driver's seat, Mac McKeldon. Matt, thanks for your time. No worries, Pete. It's Bathurst week. Happy to give you all the time in the world. Uh, I hope uh, the elements are okay. I hope it doesn't rain too much there on Mount Panorama. Oh. The, the forecast is for a bit of a wet weekend, unfortunately. Mate, I reckon uh, it, we've, we've got a number of Dunlop slick tyres that we <laughs> can use across a race like that. And I don't reckon they're going to get to the end of their allocation. I reckon the one that's going to struggle this week for allocation is going to be the wet. It is probably going to be the wettest Bathurst 1000 since around the year 2000. So, um, yeah, I hope everyone down at the mountain has, has packed their brollies. Yeah, they're forecasting rain of up to 100 millimetres from t- tomorrow through to Sunday. So it's a concern for the fans. I know all the camping spots reportedly are sold out. There's going to be a bumper crowd because, as we know, the last couple of years, Matt, Bathurst uh, in those COVID years kicked off the campaign, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, it was, yeah, it, it, when it comes to motorsport, um, there's very few more emotive places than Mount Panorama. And uh, I think if you were, get, when we were facing the COVID um, challenge, everyone needed just a quite a bit of cheer and a bit of something to look forward to. So, yeah, we kicked off a couple of years there with uh, the Bathurst, I think they called it the Bathurst 500. Uh, but also there were some contractual arrangements between New South Wales and supercars and where the series ends and finishes. So, look, this is the first 1,000 we've had at full capacity since COVID. Um, and you're right, the campsites at the top of the mountain um, to the left of the chase and right behind the pit paddocks have been sold out for months and months. So there's definitely a desire for the punters to get back to the holy grail of motorsport. Tell us what we're likely to see apart from a wet Mount Panorama. The Holden v Ford battle is always one that offers so much intrigue. 
It does. And again, it's it's our sport, like many sports, relies on a lot of emotion. And, you know, it's a bit of a funny thing, the old Ford versus Holden thing, because reality says there is no Holden in Australia anymore. Um, so it's been a while since we've had Holden, probably two or three years, I think, uh, certainly that have been manufacturing in this country. But Holden really just doesn't exist as a dealership group anymore. But what we are going to see in 2023 is the next generation of supercar that will not be uh, Holden. It will be uh, Chev Camaro and it will be the Ford Mustang. Um, obviously, you can still buy a Mustang here in Australia, but you can't buy a Commodore. And ironically, you actually can't buy a Camaro new in this country either. But that's a political battle for another day. But this is the last time, I think, probably the more accurate way to say it is that this is the last time we are going to see a Holden moniker running around uh, in a factory team in the supercar. So we're not going to see the Commodore anymore. That's the big one, I reckon. Yeah. Not just Holden, but the Commodore. Yeah, certainly the traditionalists and the people that are connected to the heritage of the race would be pretty disappointed with that. I tell you who's not disappointed, Shane Van Gisbergen. An outstanding campaign, an outstanding season for him ahead of the 161-lap race this weekend. Mate, he's belted them. Peter, you couldn't, have, you couldn't have described it better. It has been an absolutely outstanding campaign um, to the point where some of the other competitors are now all looking at each other and saying things like, we need to race him harder. He's been dominant this year. He absolutely has. Um, he was dominant last year and he's continued on into it this year. Um, he's a bit of a different character, old SVG. He can be a bit of a prickly pair at times, but doesn't enjoy the media, but geez, he loves driving a race car. And, the skill set on the bloke probably didn't garner much attention outside the motorsport world, but he competed in the World Rally Championship in his hometown, New Zealand, last weekend. First time he's ever done a WRC rally in what they call WRC2. So it's the sort of next level down from the from the big boys at the top in the WRC. Um, and it, But don't get me wrong, competitors highly highly credited competitors from all around the world, and he got third. So the bloke can drive absolutely out of sight, and he would almost take a meteorite um, bashing into Sydney and or tipping the world off its axis for him not to uh, <laughs> not to win the, the supercars crown this year. He's home and hosed, I reckon. Yeah, an outstanding uh, performance. Can I just ask you a couple of questions before I let you go about the Formula One? Daniel Ricciardo, uh, where do you think he's going to end up? There's all this conjecture now after what was a, a great performance at the weekend, his best performance of this uh, Formula One campaign for this season. You know, there's talk that Haas won him, maybe Williams won him, but he wants to go to maybe a team that could consistently challenge for podiums. What are you reading into where Daniel Ricciardo is at the moment? Well, you and I have spoken on a number of occasions over the last yeah. couple of months since Dan's announcement and there's been conjecture, talk, he's going here, he's definitely going there, he's not going there, he is going there. The reality is nobody knows. What we do know is that his options are closing. Um, you and I have talked about him going to Alpine, formerly <laughs> Renault. Looks as that that deal's not going to happen. Um, I don't think it's going to be Williams either because I think they're going to get an American driver in there, a young bloke called Logan Sargent. Of course, America is big in Formula 1 at the moment. They've got three races scheduled next year. Uh, Alpha Tauri looks like um, they are not going to be a, a home for him as well. The reality is, I think, the options are closing um, right now, as of today. 
it looks as though the hot favourite to secure the Western Australian's uh, talents next year is actually going to be Mercedes as a reserve driver. Right, OK. Tell us about Max Verstappen. What the hell happened at the Singapore Grand Prix? He was pretty dirty, wasn't he? He was, he was talking to his team, shouting obscenities. I tell you what, he's a hothead as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Maxi can get a little hot under the collar. And, like, I think probably all elite athletes who are used to having dominant performances, as, again, he's been this year, not unlike SVG, uh, there is often a disconnect between what the race driver, who has a 1,000 horsepower under his right foot, um, is feeling, as opposed to what the engineers on the wall are telling him he should feel. Um, And so... More often than not, though, the engineers um, dominate over a driver and, so, and, and a lot of the time the driver doesn't get their way. They took a wrong strategy call. There is no doubt that Red Bull fumbled the ball on that one. Uh, and I think he's probably right to go off his head. The reality is he would have gone into the debrief after the race and more than likely apologised to all of his team. But in the heat of the battle, I mean, my goodness me, if you, could, if you replay some of the things I've said in my helmet, to the, my guys on the wall, I'd probably be put in jail. But uh, it gets a very hot moment out there sometimes. And in a race like that, where if you just make it home in one piece, um, you've done very well. Uh, I, I, I think after what Max has delivered to Red Bull, I think all is probably forgiven on the Monday morning. Good on you, Matt. I know you're a busy man. Thanks for spending a few, a few moments with us here on my drive show. Much appreciated. And enjoy Mount Panorama on the weekend. Thank you, mate. And I hope everyone who can't make it across from WA enjoys the coverage on KO or Fox or Seven. But either way, happy Bathurst week. Yeah, and also tune into the driver's seat here on SEN. Good on you, Matt. Matt McKeldin joining us here on the program. We'll take some news headlines now. early drive program on this Wednesday. Cricket coming your way at four o'clock and only one hour of the run home with uh, Hazen Marto. In fact, uh, Brad Shepard in for Paul Hazelby, Damien Martin, and they're all in the office just out the back here, planning for a big hour between three and four. Now for Tire Power, buy three and get one free on selected Kumo passenger car and SUV tyres at Tire Power. Let's check what's happening at the WACA ground. WA in a very good position to take outright points in this match. Day three, and New South Wales lead WA by 57 runs with only three wickets remaining. Just repeating, New South Wales 180 in their first innings. WA made 258. With Teague Wiley, of course, 104, making a century, the 18-year-old. And in their second time at bat, New South Wales are seven for 135. Astounding bowling figures. Now, Aaron Hardy's taken two wickets. So has Lance Morris. Uh, but Joel Paris's figures are quite incredible. 13 overs, nine maidens, one wicket for four. Do you want me to repeat it again? 13 overs, Nine maidens, one wicket for four for Joel Paris, who's absolutely got uh, the batsman completely tied up. So he's bowled 13 overs, only conceded four singles. Quite incredible. Just in other sport, uh, a man that's very well respected in the administrative aspect of uh, AFL footy is Jeff Walsh. He's taken over the reins of CEO at St Kilda. To me, that that was part of the challenge, just to see where, where the club... Uh, is at right now. Look, yeah, they had a wonderful start to 2022, 8-3. Uh, they finished 11-11, so obviously there, the, it was a mirror image, uh, the back half, 3-8. Three, three um, 
So it's not as if they're devoid of talent or they're devoid of um, uh, hope or, or that you think that they can. So I think that there's an opportunity for them to springboard into that <clears throat> bottom half of the eight as a first step. Um, so that, that that's exciting uh, to me. And, and, and I think... Um, you know, I think I heard James Gallagher say the other day, and I, and I, and I agree with him, you know, one of the things that the Saints need to do you know, with this trade and draft period and, and the next, and even the next, is, is an injection of, of some, of some top-end talent to, to, to assist the... Because you know, they've, <laughs> they've got a lot of good players. Um, I, I, think, I think that they would really benefit and do well by an injection of some, mm. some top-end talent. So that's, that's one of the things that I think... Will will uh, will help them uh, up the up the up the road. So there you go, uh, Jeff Walsh, the new CEO of St Kilda. I know Jimmy Williams, my producer, St Kilda supporter. He's a good operator, mate. He'll turn things around at the Saints. Don't worry about that. Geelong have won the race for Jack Bowes uh, with the star son picking the Cats over Essendon and Hawthorne. The AFL has announced the four lawyers who will investigate the Hawthorne racism scandal and declared their report is expected to be completed within three months and made public. Bernard Quinn, KC, will lead the panel and be joined by First Nations Barry Barristers Jacqueline Turfrey and Tim Goodwin, as well as human rights barrister Julie Buxton. Uh, the AFL says the independent investigation stemming from that review commissioned by the Hawks and an ABC report that followed will cover events from 2008 right through to 2016. And in the Champions League this morning, Liverpool took on Rangers. Liverpool were 2-0 winners over Rangers at Anfield. In other results, Inter Milan beat Barcelona in Italy by one goal to nil. And it was a big win for Bayern Munich, 5-0 over Pilsen in uh, the Champions League. Uh, those uh, other games continue tonight. Celtic, in fact, Ange Postacoglu's team in action tomorrow morning our time. We'll take a break, come back with more in a moment here on the Early Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. It's coming up 17-3. to 3. Your complete tool centre. Proudly WA owned and operated for over 40 years. This is The Drive Show with Peter Vlahos. Yes, great to have your company on the early edition of Drive. Liam Jones, of course, has gone back where it's all started for him. The unrestricted free agent, uh, in fact, yesterday joined uh, the Western Bulldogs. He's back at the kennel and he's one of only a few players, actually, who uh, returned to the original club after playing uh, elsewhere of course, Leon Jones stepped uh, away from footy because of those. He was an anti-vaxxer and didn't want to get vaccinated during that COVID period. Uh, was playing for Carlton, uh, decided to step away from football and as a free agent has decided to go back to the Western Bulldogs who have given him an opportunity. This morning, he was featured on the SEN Breakfast Show with Gary and Tim. And this is what he had to say to the duo in Melbourne. Uh, well, a really good news story emerges yesterday. Well, it emerged uh, some time ago, but it was rubber stamped yesterday. Liam Jones is returning to the Western Bulldogs. He, of course, played 66 games in six seasons for the Bulldogs and then 95 for Carlton. He took a stance. He played a year up in the Quaffle, and now he's back in the AFL and he's back at the Dogs. And he joins us, Liam. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Was this always in the back of your mind that the opportunity may open up again and present itself to come back and play AFL footy? 
Uh, initially, this time last year, um, it wasn't. I sort of yeah, made my decision with the thought that that was probably it. Um, and yeah, sort of was just moving on. And then slowly sort of discussions started to be had and um, things looked like they could have changed and it was all quite hypothetical. Um, and then things, the rules did change. And then, um, yeah, sort of in the back of my mind, I thought it could be a possibility, but i am um, always been a person that I, like you said, I'm, until it's signed, sealed and delivered, I'm not really a believer. So um, up until yesterday, I was um, still holding um, holding out and then um, it all got done. And um, yeah, I'm just so grateful to get the opportunity again. And back at the Bulldogs, is super exciting. Hey, Liam, am I right in saying that the Bulldogs weren't the only club out there that were chasing your services? Uh, yeah, there was a few... Um, there was a few teams that um, were just sussing um, my uh, views on coming back um, before the um, the rules had changed um, early in the year, and then conversations, um, yeah, were quite preliminary um, going through because things didn't change until really late in the season. Um, and I always I'd said, you know, I'm, I'm fit and I'm healthy, and if things were to change um, and the opportunity felt right, then um, I'd definitely consider it. But um, I didn't really get too caught up in what ifs and then the rules changed and it started to look more likely and um, yeah spoke to a, a few clubs and then uh, landed at the Bulldogs which um, yeah feels really comfortable with me and um, I'm really excited to get back there as I know there's going to be some redevelopments done but um, yeah super excited after a few years out of the door to, to get back and get back into it. How did that first conversation with Bevo go? It was really good yeah he just um, gave me a phone call and um, just had a chat, um, and it was more just to get to know your session um, from afar um, and from guys that I still have good relationships with at the Dogs. Um, they say he's a, he's a great guy and a real people person. So, yeah, it was a um, pleasure to talk to and um, excited to learn from him and work under him now. What was the standard of footy like in the Quaffle, playing with Palm Beach? It was good, yeah. It was um, sort of... I, I played year 11 and 12 in the APS, um, in, uh, Scotch, Sort of as close to that, I think, where you have the guys that some ex-AFL players and some guys that are going to get drafted um, in the future and then some really strong VFL players and then some uh, some youth um, at, at the bottom level. So um, the gap was uh, quite big at times with some teams, but the team that won the Premiership, Aspley, um, had just come out of the VFL or the NEFL, so um, they were quite strong. So, um, yeah, it was big range of, of players, but... Um, there's some really high-quality players in the league. Hey, Liam, just a final question from me. I mean, your experience of being out of the AFL system for that period of time and going playing at a lesser league and the other experiences, no doubt, that you had, what has that taught you coming back as an AFL player? Yeah, well, I feel like I've had um, quite a good perspective on things um, throughout my career. But um, this is just, I think, um, because I obviously am... Toward, more towards the end of my career than, than the start is um, I've just yeah something that I never thought would happen like I said this this time 12 months ago um, and to get the opportunity again um, I just love playing football so playing at the Quaffle or, or wherever it is is just amazing for me and then to play at the highest level and to be running around with um, you know Marcus Bontempelli and Aaron Norton and Liber and these guys again and being able to compete against the best players in the country is um, yeah, a dream come true and I'm super excited to get back into it. Good luck with it all, mate. We're really grabbed to see you back at AFL level. 
Thank you very much. Liam Jones from the Western Bulldogs now. Uh, Western Bulldogs, Carlton, back to the Bulldogs. Yes, uh, and that was uh, Gary Lyon and Tim Watson having a chat to him as well. Just updating the cricket, New South Wales lead WA by 67 runs, but they've lost a couple of more wickets. Uh, they've only got one remaining now, and the chief wicket-taker, Lance Morris, 11 overs, one maiden, three for 43. Just repeating, Joel Paris's figures are 13 overs, nine maidens, one for four. That's it for me. The run home is next here on SENWA.